0: You are listening to The Daily Chase Podcast. This podcast was made for people who realize we are living in a changing world and not only want to survive in the new economy, but thrive in it. On this show, we discuss current finance, tech, and business events, while I share valuable stories and insights from myself and others on how to start building your digital assets now and get ahead before you get left behind. My name is Liam Chase, and welcome to The Daily Chase Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Chase podcast. Today, we're gonna be talking about something that's pretty exciting, that I've been pretty interested in learning more and more about over the last, I would say, year since I've moved to California. And I wanted to read you guys a couple of really interesting articles. And this is kind of like a follow-up, on the last episode, the new economy and what it could look like. Today, we're going to be talking about DeFi FinTech, if that makes sense. We're going to be talking about decentralized finance technology. And we're going to be reading a couple of articles here from Crypto News. And we also have one from Forbes talking about tokenizing assets and how that's starting to surge. So let's hop right into the first one here from CryptoNews.com. Links will be in the notes or wherever those go. And the headline is Decentralized Finance, DeFi, Challenges the Global Financial System. And again, this goes back into the collapse of 2008 and what we've seen since then. So this comes from a man by the name of Juan M. Villaverde, and this comes out on August eleventh, twenty nineteen. And by the way, Juan Villaverde is an econometrician—I don't know how to say that—mathematician devoted to the analyst analysts of analysis of cryptocurrency since two thousand twelve. He leads the Weiss Ratings team of analysts and computer programmers who created Weiss crypto, cryptocurrency ratings. Let's get into the article. It says, do you still think crypto is a scam, that smart contracts are useless? If so, please allow me to introduce you to a phenomenon you may not know about. Decentralized finance or what the crypto crowd calls DeFi. I'm talking about a soon-to-be separate parallel universe in the world of finance, one that uses strictly distributed ledger technology. So if you're taking notes, write it down. DeFi, that stands for Decentralized Finance, and DLT that stands for Distributed Ledger Technology. It says, to get a quick big picture understanding, consider these three fundamental differences between DeFi and the traditional finance system. And this is something that I'm so excited about because since I've started at the position that I'm at, learning about our financial system It's just been an eye-opener, and I'm so thankful that I've been able to learn about all this. So fundamental difference number one, who or what makes decisions? It says the traditional financial system lives or dies based on the strength, stability, authority, and trustworthiness of big financial institutions and the governments that regulate them. If a big bank goes under or a government defaults, the entire system can melt down. Hard to believe? Then ask the customers of Washington Mutual, Bear Stearns, and Lehman Brothers. By the way, these are all banks or investment firms that collapsed into 2008 recession. Or talk to the people of Argentina, Uruguay, Greece, Russia, and Venezuela. Greece, I know back in 2013, they had their entire financial system frozen. You could not access your money. Venezuela, they're having hyperinflation into the hundreds of thousands of percentages um, and then as far as gree or I'm sorry Russia Uruguay Argentina I'm not entirely familiar with those areas but obviously uh, he pointed to them it says in contrast a decentralized financial system lives or dies based on the strengths of its protocols cryptography and smart contracts it says weak players weak players or shady characters are summarily kicked out so the great thing he and actually let me just keep reading so and then we'll come back Says fundamental difference number two, how to apply for a loan. It says in the old world of traditional finance, you apply for a loan at your bank or neighborhood loan shark, you give them info on your credit history, property, liquid assets, subly or overtly, they may even consider where you went to school, where you live, and what you do for a living. Then they boil it down to this simple question: Can you be trusted? In the new world of DeFi, as I'll explain in a moment, the process is fully automated and decentralized. Fundamental difference number three, how credit ratings are created. Finding the answers to the can you be trusted question is cumbersome process. Even after thorough due diligence, the final credit rating number is still just a guess. And in the boom-bust cycles that have dominated the global economy for centuries, it swings from extreme to extreme. Just has some bullet points. In the extreme stage of a boom cycle is when lenders will go wild with speculation, ignoring risk, or worse, rigging their ratings process. In the extreme stage of a bust cycle, they shut out even the worthiest of artists, lending strictly to those who don't need the money in the first place. And in between these extremes, the biggest deal killer is the fact that most participants know credit ratings are just a guess, leading to ever-present uncertainty in the lending process. And actually, just want to go back, cover those first two bullet points. In the extreme stage of boom, cycles, lenders go wild with speculation. And this is obviously what we saw in 2008 with the subprime mortgage um, crisis, where people were just lending out money that shouldn't have been lent out money, and that's just the clip the, the the what the cliff of the iceberg I don't know with the the tip of the iceberg and funny enough it, after we had the 2008 recession they did ex- exactly what he said here they even shut out the worthiest of borrowers so when we did the TARP bailout and basically printed 700 billion dollars uh, these banks uh, this actually came from a documentary that I watched on Netflix it's called Hank, five years after the brink, and they printed the money, in case you don't know. Uh, Congress authorized $700 billion to be printed, basically to bail out these banks so they can continue lending. However, the banks did not do that. They had a liquidity. Um, they they just stopped lending, right? So these the, the government gave the banks money to keep lending, and they stopped lending and just held the money themselves. And put everyone in a liquidity crisis is basically what happened and what the whole 2008 financial recession essentially was. And so it goes on to say, which lead, going back to the report here now, it says, which leads us to the mandate of traditional finance system. It says, traditionally, lenders will err on the side of caution, similarly shutting out billions of people around the world. Whether big or small, they simply do not have the bandwidth to accurately evaluate the credit of billions of would-be borrowers. At the end of the day, it boils down to an issue of scale. The traditional finance system is simply unable to scale up to a level that opens capital access to anyone or any company anywhere in the world with good credit history. And it's funny about that is I was watching a video from, I forget how to say his name. Let me look him up real quick. Andre Antonopoulos. Uh, f- yeah, it's Andreas Antonopoulos. Andreas Antonopoulos, that's right. And he was doing a uh, keynote speech, I suppose, about universal basic access to finance. According to his speech, 6.5 billion people around the world don't have access to basic finance, aka banking, checking, savings, things like that. And so he was talking about how crypto would actually open up the possibility and what he's even talking about here um, to just bring in new people into the system. I mean, think about that 6.5 billion people that don't even have access to finance and banks, right? And so that means only about 1.5 billion people are on a banking system of some type. And so it says, defi. Okay. So let me read that sentence again. It says the traditional finance is simply unable to scale up to the To a level that opens capital access to anyone or any company anywhere in the world with a good credit history. It says DeFi is. It says the traditional financial system sorely lacks mechanisms for, number one, anywhere to anywhere cross borders lending on a mass scale. Lenders in highly liquid regions of the industrial world can rarely connect with small borrowers in emerging markets. So that's number one benefit. Number two, peer-to-peer lending. It's almost impossible for small borrowers, small borrowers, or lenders to bypass intermediaries. These intermer- intermediaries incur high costs and must sh- charge substantial fees or spreads for small and even large investors be- to become lenders. The best they can typically do is buy shares in a bank, specialized fund or hedge fund. Number three, peer-to-peer money transfers. Money is often unable to travel where it is needed the most, and when it does, intermediaries often take the lion's share of any profits generated by these transfers. Liquidity often dries up precisely where it's needed most, especially in the wake of natural or man-made disasters. 4. Transparency in the lending process Key factors on where or how to apply for a loan, why you're accepted or rejected, and what to do next are shrouded under a cloud of secrecy. DeFi has these mechanisms and more. DLT, Powered Decentralized Finance, DeFi, is among the only sustainable solutions. It says, as we've seen time and time again, foreign aid and charity can sometimes help, but these aren't sustainable or scalable. And as we saw in the U.S. subprime crisis of 0809, 9 when government and private lenders pushed out trillions in loan mortgages to high-risk borrowers, the consequence is catastrophic. Although still possible, these challenges and disasters are less likely in a DLT, which is, in case you don't remember, a distributed ledger technology powered decentralized financial system. Here's why. First, DeFi uses massive amounts of real-time data processed with sophisticated algorithms to continually balance itself, which, like a highly liquid global foreign exchange market, Second, DeFi helps replace much of the time-consuming background checks for borrowers and most of the expensive due diligence by lenders. In fact, if you're a lender, you don't even need to know who or what the borrower is. Third, DeFi makes it possible for lenders and investors to entrust their money to proven smart contracts. That money is then aggregated into pool of liquid funds available to borrowers. borrowers. Fourth, DeFi secretly stores the funds on a global distributed ledger that can be viewed by anyone with an internet connection. Think of it as a global bank. You make a deposit, then once the institution has your money, it's free to lend out. The critical difference here is that there is no bank. Instead, it's a global network where all the relevant information and the liquid funds themselves can travel across the planet as quickly as an email or text message. Fifth, DeFi supports a nice, efficient credit market. Interest rates are not distorted by big spreads for intermediaries, nor are they directly affected by central bank manipulation. Instead, they're determined by algorithms that automatically adjust interest rates level based on supply and demand, which sounds like a more natural thing to do instead of having a centralized corporation be in control of the quote-unquote free market capital. This is not in the article. This is me speaking. It says, if supply dries up, rates go down. If supplies are abundant, or sorry, if supply dries up, rates go up. If supplies are abundant, they go down. I think he might have put that uh, opposite. That he, I think he typed that backwards. Because if there is no supply, you want interest rates to go down to increase the flow of money the money and the economy of supplies are abundant you would want interest rates to go up to make it more expensive to loan it says this can also help resolve a major current challenge in north america western europe japan and other developed economies yields are at records low but in emerging markets they're still very high and even in the richest countries many average citizens can't get a mortgage to buy a new home six DeFi handles collateral more fluidly. When you wish to borrow using a DeFi protocol, you post your assets on a smart contract. Those assets are earmarked as collateral for any funds you wish to borrow. And if you fail to replay the loan, the protocol will automatically assign your collateral to the lender. As on the Bitcoin network, there is no human intervention in this process, and there's virtually no way to cheat the smart contract. Does this system already exist in the real world, although still experimental? Yes. In fact, that is just, in fact, what I just described is, to a large extent, what's already being tested by protocols like Compound, one of the first DLT-based lending platforms. Read more. Decentralized Lending Source Staking Gains Transactions. Protocols like these typically built on Ethereum are beginning to step away from Bitcoin's traditional use case as a store of value. And they're starting to realize Ethereum's vision of a new financial system. Bang. Guys, there is a financial revolution that is coming. And this is a part of the new economy is the new financial system. Says their goal: a world in which most rulers are replaced by rules, a world in which those rules are enforced automatically and fairly. From 30,000 feet, banks and a protocol such as Compound perform a parallel function. They pull assets and make them available to borrowers. The difference is that with Compound or any other DLT-based lending application, there is no counterparty risk at the institutional level, nor is a single company or individual aggregating these assets. Meanwhile, removing manual human intervention in the process also helps reduce two critical things. Number one, human error in the process loan application. And two, human bias in capital allocation. So basically, you're removing the human error out of the process of lending money in the financial system. It says, lenders and borrowers meet one another directly and cryptographically enforced protocol ensures, I'm sorry, and a cryptographically enforced protocol ensures the rules are observed by all at all times. But please understand, just because humans are not involved as intermediaries in day-to-day decision making doesn't mean humans aren't involved at all. On the contrary, the rules governing how these protocols operate are decided by an aggregate of lenders and borrowers. It's the users of these platforms who set the rules, and it's DLT, Distributed Ledger Technology, that enforces them. It's almost impossible to cheat the system. The smart contract treats everyone equally. It allows for no priority access or one-off exceptions, and the system operates exactly as it was programmed to operate. And if it's flawed in any way, those flaws become readily evident, mandating prompt fixes. At the end of the day, the system's big strength lies in its ability to cut out the middleman. Very important. Eliminate most fees and treat everyone equally. DeFi protocols are also inherently global. You can be anyone, anywhere in the world. If you meet the requirements for participating, you're free to do so. Geography is simply not a criterion. DeFi cannot discriminate and cannot cheat. And ultimately, that is the future of finance. And I feel like that deserves a clap. See, that is something that I can get behind. And I believe in much more than the system that we have currently. That actually sounds like a free market of capital. Unlike what we have now with a centralized bank controlling the... (laughs) Artificially controlling the interest rates, basically the cost of money, right? And in, in case you don't know what interest rates, I kind of I kind of explained it, but basically, interest rates is how much it costs for the banks to basically borrow money from the central bank, right? And so, or, or basically you and me, right? So the lower the interest rates is, the cheaper the money is, right? So if you have two percent interest, then you're like for every hundred dollars that you borrow from the bank, you're only paying. on that. Whereas if they hire, if they raise the interest rates, then it becomes more expensive to borrow money. So if they raise it to 5%, then for every $100 you borrow, you're paying $5. Does that make sense? Very good. And so that whole process is controlled artificially by the central bank. In fact, uh, we have a central, sorry, Fed we have a Fed meeting coming up in September where they're going to decide probably, in fact, from a report I heard this morning, Goldman Sachs says they're 100% going to lower interest rates again in September. We just had uh, the first lower in over a decade since the 2008 crisis, like we talked about in this article here. And this is just something that I wanted to share with you guys. And If you want to know how this relates to preparing for the future, well, there's a lot going on here. Obviously, uh, there, there's so much opportunity, right? And, and how? And this is also another reason why I believe that when this happens, and we, and we see the displacement of people, initially, it's gonna be disruptive, and it's gonna be probably bad. But I do feel that, you know, when one door closes, another door is gonna open. I mean, there's so much opportunity. In the tech industry, obviously, in the DeFi world, in the fintech world. I mean, this is going to happen whether you admit it or want it to or not. There's another report that China is on the verge of releasing a digital fiat. And something else that I wanted to touch upon was the idea of tokenizing assets, which is starting to surge. And so... I wanted to find, let me go down to this. Where can I find it? Ah, here we go. There's another, this is on Medium. There was. There's a Bloomberg report about uh, tokenization, but this is a Medium, which is like a blog. It says, the future will be tokenized. How blockchain will free you to control your financial destiny. That's what I like to hear. And let me find the part I was looking for. Ah, here we go. Imagine all of my personal, this is the article, by the way. Imagine all my personal as- assets add up to a million dollars. Kind of a stretch, but it makes for easy math. These, those combined assets could be broken into Justin coins that represent everything I own. If I created 100 coins or tokens, which each would be worth $10,000. It says the blockchain technology would allow anyone to trade their tokens for a Justin coin. That means no banks, no financial managers, no complicated paperwork or red tape. It would just be two people making a direct transaction. It says the tokenization of everything imagines a world where anything can be traded. Your liquidity isn't restricted by cash or concrete assets. Instead, it can include anything you own and maybe even your time. Tokenization of everything removes all aspects of the middleman institution. So guys, if you're starting to notice a theme about these reports, what this, you know, what blockchain or not even blockchain, cause that's a type of DLT. And again, DLT is distri- distributed ledger technology is that, so DLT blockchain is a DLT technology, but with the, the, the reoccurring theme with DLT is that middlemen shrink or disappear. And that's another reason why I believe content creators will have more leverage, right? Because we're going to, you know, over the last 20 years, you know, we always talk about, you know, Airbnb, this and that, and the other thing, they own no assets. I'm not saying companies like Airbnb and Uber and Amazon, all those, but we just see all these examples of things that are massive companies that own nothing. And so they're basically the middleman. Well, in some aspects of our life, middlemen will start to be cut out. And, you know, even farther and farther, probably, I don't know, I don't know if any of this that we're talking about here will ever occur in our lifetime, but it's nice to talk about. It's fun to think about. But even at some point into the long distance future, even the government could technically be replaced by technology imagine that that's the ultimate middleman (laughs) and so let's go back to the report it says toe removes all aspects of the middleman institutions it enables online transactions through a trusted decentralized system it breaks down power and access barriers we still have to contend with an inequality of terms of assets and wealth but no one can control how or what you trade the blockchain power tech the blockchain technology that powers these transactions also makes investing faster, cheaper and more secure. It liquefies assets and makes investing possible for people who have been restricted by means or geography, which is another reoccurring theme is that it's going to incorporate people globally. Now, this is kind of like globalization, but the main difference is a global society and like maybe the negative ones that you hear is a a centralized global society, right? Now, imagine if there was a global society where you could do business all over the world, but there's no central institution. Maybe there's central institutions in the countries, but globally, it's decentralized. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what's possible here. We can incorporate 6.5 billion people. I mean, really, guys, into the future, I believe that this could even eliminate poverty because you know money and at these assets are just gonna become so much easier to acquire. And that's the thing, you know, money's not a scarce supply. And even if it is, think about it. You know, money, when somebody has money, it's not created or destroyed. It's simply transferred. So you could have the same twenty dollars you know, buy many things like it does now. And so you just have to get out of the scarcity mindset, right? And you have to think about the abundance. And I think, you know, decentralized finance, and even with what Facebook is doing with Libra, I mean, that's going to be, I think their overall mission is pretty pretty positive. Their goal with Libra is to start to bring in some of the 6.5 billion people that are unbanked. In, anyways, let's go back to the article. It says, third-generation blockchain technologies like Cardano are trying to solve the big problem of, of operability, which means that everything is programmable with an automated market maker as the intermediary. For example, imagine paying for your Starbucks order with airline miles while the barista is paid in U.S. dollars. That is interoperability inter, in action we already watched the internet tear down gatekeeper layers in entertainment, publishing, communication, sales, and many other industries. Bang. As we dismantle hierarchical financial systems, transaction costs go down, volumes go up, and people are more willing to trade with each other. It creates a more connected global system. The long-term vision also, perhaps ironically, takes us to barter trading, which is where the concept of money first originated. Wow, this is so amazing. This is unbelievable a collection of diverse personal tokens in the near future blockchain could give us the ability to create multiple coins for several different assets imagine you own a home worth 1 million dollars stay with me this is all about that simple math you could again break the ownership of that home into 100 tokens worth ten thousand dollars each this scenario is much like creating a real estate index or trust fund to manage multiple properties but now You could sell partial ownership of your home with individual tokens that you create, trade, and control. There's no intermediary. So why would I want to sell partial ownership? Great question. I would tokenize my home for two main reasons. This is Justin speaking. Number one, I want to make my assets more liquid. Maybe I'm traveling, starting a business, going back to school, or investing in something I think has great value. A home token would allow me to leverage some of the value in my house without selling it outright. Bingo. So if you need some money, right, but you don't want to necessarily sell the the pro the item that you own, you create a token and you can sell the token without having to actually sell the whole entire product or whatever you, have, you own. Number two, I believe my home won't appreciate as fast as what you're giving me in return. Maybe I'm trading my home token for your business token, and I think your business will gain value at a much faster rate than my home. On the other side of the trade, you might want to share in my home if you believe it's a better appreciation potential than your company. Our different perspectives on the asset valuation would allow us to trade a trade consensus. If we can do all these different trades, it doesn't matter where we live, and artificial geographer borders could break down when we don't rely on a single entity or regime to prove our value. For example, the global currency system determines how much our assets are worth depending on the stability or volatility of our native currency and how our homes, countries, institutions reach consistent consensus with other markets. When assets are tokenized, that value is stored in a single profile with fully decentralized transaction paths. Wow, this is unbelievable. And so... I really hope and pray that this occurs within my lifetime because that will be a great day. And I mean, if you think about it, you know, we've only had the Federal Reserve, the central bank here in America, at least for just over 100 years, and six, seven years. And so I was reading a book. It's called Collusion. It's basically about all these central banks. It's from Nomi Prins. She worked at... um, What was it, Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers? She worked at Goldman Sachs. She's like an insider. And basically, you know, all this stuff ties into each other. Basically, um, because of what the, the banks did back in 2008, that's the reason that we're seeing the rise of this socialist, populist, democratic revolution, whatever you want to call it, in politics right now. That's why we're seeing the wealth inequality. And look, I agree there are a lot of problems. I think we should start with the fact that, number one, we are not even in a free market society when the free market, the quote-unquote free market, is controlled by a centralized institution that artificially controls the capital itself. So how can we be in a free market capitalist society when the capital is controlled by an institution, centralized institution? It's not like a buy-and-sell market. When well, you look at the graph and then eventually a buyer and a seller meet in the middle, no, it is controlled by a centralized institution. That is not free. If that's free, I don't know what real freedom is. But to me, that is absolutely not free. So look, the Daily Chase is all about freedom. And I think we have to start with the capital, with the markets. We need to become free. That's all for today's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Chase podcast. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and do that now. If you feel the episode resonated with you, be sure to rate and review the podcast. If you feel like someone else might like it, be sure to share the podcast. I want to thank you in advance for all your support. And until next time, remember that you don't join the Daily Chase, you get on the Daily Chase. See ya.